Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. How many of you have ever felt like you were God's dense child? You know, um, you know, sometimes I'm not kidding you. There are times when even at 68 years of age, I've been in the ministry 40 years, full time ministry, 40 years. I just I just look at and go, you know, how on earth did I manage to stay in the fellowship of the clueless? You know, and if you have ever felt that way, I want to encourage you today that you are in good company. God knows our frame. By say amen. amen. And if we'll hang with him, if we'll stick with him, he will get us there. Everybody say amen. Our confidence is in him, not our own ability. Even though we are members of the fellowship of the imperfect. If you recognize that, there's a reason. <laughs> you know, I want you to think about the people Jesus called to be his disciples. They were a rough cut bunch. Uh, several of them, in fact, most of them were uneducated and untrained. We know this from Acts 4.13, where the, the Sanhedrin said they're in, uneducated men. Where are they getting all this stuff? You know, one of their number was a loudmouth. And if you're thinking that's Peter, you're astute. Two of them were brothers who would fight at the drop of a hat. They didn't even always get along with each other. In fact, to the point that Jesus called them sons of thunder. One of the reasons they were excited about following Jesus is they foresaw the opportunity to call fire down on people. And when they got ready to do it, Jesus had to rebuke them and say, Boys, calm down, you know. One of them was a crooked IRS agent who loved to extract, you know. And he was considered, as such, he was considered by the entire uh, community as a moral and social reprobate and a sellout to the Roman government. One of them was a radical militia member who wore a dagger and was sworn that any time that dagger came out of its sheath, that blood was to be shed before it was to be returned. And they were for the radical and violent overthrow of the Roman government and any and all collaborators. A real cast of characters. Oh, oh, oh yes, and there's one other guy. Uh, he hired... An embezzler with an accounting background. To be his treasurer. Amen. You know. These guys were the ones that God in the flesh, love in the flesh, chose to be his world changers. You know. Uh, but what they were anticipating was fame and power and rank. We know this because on more than one occasion, they are arguing among themselves about who is the greatest. The pecking order. 
And in fact, Peter was, got so full of himself at one point that he got tired of Jesus talking about this crucifixion stuff and took him aside and rebuked him. How many of you would feel comfortable rebuking Jesus? You know, Lord, now that's just not faith. Let's try to be a little bit more positive here. And what did Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. Boy, you talk about something that will rain on your parade. There it is. When entrusted with authority, they got very uneven results. In Luke chapter 10, they came back and they said, Wow, the demons are even subject to us in your name. But then in Matthew chapter 17, at the base of the foot of men of the Mount of Transfiguration, they were complete failures in attempting to minister to the young demonized man whose father had brought them to him. In fact, when Jesus came down from the mountain, as is always the case in such a failure, they were in an argument with the Pharisees. There is always a debate there. And when Jesus said, what were you discussing with them before he even got a, they even got a chance to answer? The father said, you know, I brought my son to your disciples and he described everything. And Jesus' response was not to the father. It was to them. Matthew 17, 17. And Jesus answered and said, you unbelieving and perverted generation. How long will I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. Now, let me rephrase that for you into 21st century North American parlance. You bunch of knuckleheads. And that's actually softer than what he said. You bunch of knuckleheads. When are you going to get it? I know some people don't believe that Jesus would ever talk like that. But there it is. He is indignant. He has raised his voice. You have seen it. You have done it. What on earth is wrong with you guys? Bring him to me. I thought about calling this the fellowship of the knucklehead, but figured that's just a little strong. For months, Jesus told them, I'm going to die. I'm going to be, you know, in fact, in Luke chapter 9, verses 43 and 44. And they were amazed at the greatness of God. Why? Because of the miracles that were handing. But... While everyone was marveling at all this he was doing, he said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The son of man, which is an apocalyptic um, use of the term. He is the son of man from the book of Daniel is going to be delivered into the hands of men. He warns them sternly, let these words sink into your ears. Don't get carried away. I want you to understand we can get to the point where things are going a certain way and we can't even imagine. They couldn't even imagine what he was describing. They didn't want to. In Luke 18, he took the, verse 31 and 32, he took the 12 aside and said to them, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and mistreated and spat upon. He even told them, gave them advance notice of when it was going to happen. And he was, you know, even, you know, and it happened exactly like he said. And as we read from the scripture this morning, our opening scripture was Luke chapter 24. When they showed up at the tomb, 
on the day after the, 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 the Passover, the third day, they showed up with embalming spices, not signs that said, Welcome back, Jesus! You know, think of it. And I'm, you know, I'm not being critical of them because we have all done stuff like that. Where the Lord has spoken to us, he's either spoken to us out of his word or he's spoken to us with the rhema to, to our heart to show us something. And somehow it just didn't sink in. Somehow we didn't grab hold of it. Somehow we just said, ah. And so they show up. Not with signs, not with welcoming. They expected to find a dead body. Not only did they expect to find a dead body, they came with a hundred pounds worth of stuff that uh, Nicodemus had given. A very expensive uh, array of embalming stuff. And so they were going to embalm it so that the body would not decay. And would, you know, they were not planning on any special event. In fact, in Matthew 26, verses 31 and 32, was it the, the Last Supper? Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. He had told them, your faith is going to be tested. And when the, the women heard from the angel, the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He's not here. He's risen just as he said. Just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. And there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly and with fear and great joy and ran to report it to the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them on the way. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee where they will see me. And they did not believe the women. They said, you guys are nuts. That's why over in Luke 24, he says, you foolish men and slow of heart to believe what the prophets have written. I mean, Luke 24, 10 and 11. Now they were, they, the women, were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James. Also, the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles, but their words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. Amen. But they finally did go to Galilee. After he appeared in their midst and scared the water out of them. Breathed on them, John chapter 20. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, to Peter, and to the twelve, and that he appeared to more than five Hundred brethren at one time. And most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Five hundred, I believe that was up in Galilee. 
500 people. What was he telling them? He was telling them all the same thing. Don't leave. Stay in Jerusalem until you receive you know, what, uh, the promise of the Father which you have heard from me. For you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the utmost parts of the, of the earth. Now, the day of Pentecost was 50 days after the, uh, the Passover. And so he walked the earth 40 days and was taken up. And when the day of Pentecost came, 500 people heard him at one time. We don't know how many on, on all together. And how many people were there at the day of Pentecost? 120. Less than 25%. How many of you get the idea that we have a tendency to be a little thick when it comes to faith? That said... God hasn't given up on any of us. Amen. Amen. And, 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 and God knew it. I mean, Jesus said to Peter in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. You is not singular in the Greek. It's plural. He is saying Satan has demanded permission to sift you all, all of you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Why does the sifting come? Why does the enemy attack? To try to steal our faith. To try to make our faith fail. And you, once you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. We, these people, what I'm saying to you here is these guys are, I, that's one of the things I love about the scripture is that you don't have Jesus rising from the dead and everybody gathered out there ready to welcome him back. No, we got a bunch of normal people who are mixtures at best. And the only person that believed that Jesus was going to rise from the dead was Jesus. But that didn't mean that he fired everybody. Oh, you guys aren't worthy. I'm going to choose another crew. No. How many of you are glad God doesn't do things that way? I know I am. All of them, like us, were works in progress. They were the fellowship of the knucklehead. The fellowship of the imperfect. Yes, I know, positionally, there's somebody who's going to take umbrage at that and say, no, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Yes, that's the imputed righteousness of God. He has declared us righteous, and we are, in his eyes, pure as the driven snow. Our sins have been expiated. We are clean. That said, if there is anyone in this room who is, it, who is perfect, please stand to your feet right now. And we will have a prayer session for liars and deluded people. <laughs> when God warned Peter, he knew. And see, these are guys who had been through a lot. I want you to understand, these guys had been walking with Jesus from anywhere from two, two and a half, three years. And he even said to them, as he was getting ready to go to the cross in Luke twenty-two thirty-eight, he said, you are those who have stood by me. In my trials, they stood by him and the church split. You are aware of the fact that Jesus, Pastor Jesus, experienced a church split. Mark, back in the booth, told me a joke. I don't know how many years ago it was. It's probably been 15 or 20 years ago about a man 
who was on a, stranded on a desert island. And then after a considerable period of time, he looked just like Tom Hanks. And after a considerable period of time, he was discovered. And when they beached the boat where he was to, like that, there were three huts on the, built on the, on the beach. And they said, what are the three huts? And he says, well, I live in this one. And he said, this one is where I go to church. And they said, well, what's the third one? He said, well, that's where I used to go to church, but those people couldn't get along. <laughs> but you didn't know when you told me that one, Mark, it would get so much, so much mileage. I'd get so much mileage out of it. Uh, I'll give you the royalty afterwards. All right. What, is, what was Jesus telling Peter? He said, Peter, the devil is about to rock your world. Everything you thought was going to happen is going to come crashing down around your ears. And it is going to look hopeless. It is going to look like the end. And you're going to be heartbroken. And it will seem like there is no path forward for you. And that you have wasted all of this time. When you could have been building your fleet and all this kind of stuff, but you were walking with me, it's going to look like you, you know, it's going to look like you wasted all your time because the enemy is going to take his best shot at your faith. And Peter, if you go down, several other people are going to go down too because you're the leader. So I am praying for you that your faith will not fail you. And once you've turned, now that's Jesus' faith talking, strengthen your brethren or your brethren. God didn't look at the rough edges. He saw their character. He saw their hearts. Did you notice that, you know, do you think Peter as a fisherman was a refined gentleman? Oh, I say to you, no. Because when confronted again about them, you know, they say, one of the little servants, girl says, you're one of them. I saw you with him. Peter says, no, I don't know what you're talking about. The Galileans had a different accent than the people who lived in Jerusalem. They, you know, you talk like you're from, uh, and so I, I, can, I can tell you're one of them. And Peter cussed and swore. He wanted to prove it. Then he went out and wept, wept bitterly because of his failure. Yet, God didn't fire him. God didn't put him away. Isn't it nice to know that even when we're knuckleheads, God doesn't give up on us. He doesn't quit. And that it doesn't even change our destiny if we will continue to believe him. And I say, I've really disappointed God. Let me ask you this. How can you disappoint somebody who knows you're going to do it before you even do it? Right? All right. It's like, it's like the little kid. You say, stay out of the cookies. We're going to be eating dinner. But you know the cookies are in reach. And you know that little kid. You know, uh, it's interesting. As children develop and they grow up, you know, you begin to see something of their personality. I think I'm raising a lawyer. <laughs> because everything's a negotiation. I'll say, okay, three more. How about five? Either that or a negotiator, a contract negotiator. And, you know, God didn't look at their rough edges and all that. And when the church split came, 
John 6 and 66. Remember, Jesus had been talking about my body. We're going to be uh, taking communion here. He said, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Well, he was speaking to them existentially. Because, and you know, people still read that and don't know what it means because they've forgotten what, how John started his gospel. In the word, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Right? And the word became what? Flesh. And dwelt among us. So when he says my, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He's talking about that he is the living word of God. And it is a common thing both in Revelation and in the Old Testament to see the word as food. Remember eat the little scroll. It was sweet in my mouth and it was bitter to my stomach etc. And so people were going. Ew. You know, they didn't understand him. They didn't even hang around to ask him what he meant. Right? And as a result, it says in John 6 and 66, 666. As a result, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. That's Jesus' church split right there. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go too? And Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So even when they didn't understand and even when other people were bailing, they hung with him. He hung with them. They hung with him. Everybody say amen. amen. You know, and it, what was it that kept them attached to him? They loved him. Remember, Peter even said, why can't I go with you? I'm going someplace you cannot go. You'll follow later. No, Lord, why, 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 why can't I go with you right now? And so at the end, we come, you know, to John 21. Because Jesus didn't walk with him for 40 days solid. You know, it, it, there was, there, he, he would appear to him. In, in, in spurts, you know, and be with them and everything. And then there would go, there would be days, you know, perhaps even weeks that they, uh, over that, you know, over month period before the, the Feast of Pentecost, when they didn't see him. And then suddenly he would be there. So they're sitting there by the fish, by the Sea of Galilee one day. And Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. Well, there's theological messaging there. We talked about that. In other words, the temptation to go back to his old life. That's what he was. He was a fisherman. And remember, Jesus called him away from that. There's nothing wrong with being a fisherman. But Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I have a different path for your life. It says they dropped everything and followed him. So they made the right call. Now what they have to do is they have to stick to the call. Are you with me? But... Everything, but everything's changed. Yeah, Jesus has risen from the dead. But dear Lord, what's going to happen now? I mean, you know what? This isn't at all what I was anticipating. And the future is no longer clear. It's now very murky. And what, what's going to happen? And in the passage of John, uh, in John 21, beginning with verse 15, it's often called by many, the many theologians, the restoration of Peter. I don't particularly like that term, but, you know, I understand why they would say that. And he says, 
when they fit, and, and so they, they, he said, I'm going fishing. They went out and caught nothing. And they're coming back in. Remember on the lake, they finish. I said one morning it was, you know, it was going on nighttime. And they fish at night because the waters of the lake are crystal clear. And even fish are not, too stu- are not so stupid that they will hang around when they see the net coming. And so they fish all night, catch nothing. This had happened before. And as they're coming in, Jesus is standing on the shore. Now they don't necessarily recognize him as being Jesus. And he says, hey, you guys didn't catch anything, did you? No. Throw out your net on the right side of the boat for a catch. A cultural reference here to quote Biff Tannen. There is something strangely familiar about this. He throw, they throw the net out and they bring up a boat sinking, net breaking load of fish. John was the first one to snap. He said, I've seen this movie before. And he goes, it's the Lord. And Peter goes, yeah? Whoa. And he puts his tunic on, jumps in. He isn't even... He isn't even content to come in with the boat. He forgot about this huge bunch of fish they just got, which is not just food. It's also, they can sell it and make money. He's swimming away from his prophets. And he comes up to Jesus and he finds that breakfast is already on the fire. And he's like, none of us are going to say, are you Jesus? Because they're like, how many of you have ever asked that? You wondered, like, I wonder if this is the Lord. You know, down inside, you're like, I'm pretty sure this is God. But we're not going to say, God, is this you? Although there's nothing wrong with that. Are you Jesus? And so they're sitting there eating and fresh on every, every everybody's mind is what Peter had said. Before he was crucified. Matthew 26, 31 through 33. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because this night because of that which is written. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep and the flock will be scattered. We read this. Even after I have been raised, but after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Guess what? And worse, when Jesus addresses him, there back in John 21, 15, he says to him, Simon, you can call him Peter. He says, Simon, son of John, bar Yochanan. He calls him by his given name. And there's distance there it's like your mom when she sits you down and she calls you by your entire name how many of you ever remember your mom or your particularly your mom sometimes dad when they call you by all of your given names it's probably not good and Jesus and and then Jesus says you know and you've if you've been a Christian very long you've heard all of this but it's worth repeating today And John, he says, uh, Jesus said to him, uh, do you love me? 
And I'll go back to John 21 again, 15 and 16. And this is so powerful because as those of you who attend on Wednesday night, we talk about the historical present, how that the gospel writers will sometimes take words, that, verbs that should be past tense, an aorist or an imperfect, and they will put them in a historical presence to add immediacy to the, to the text. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus says, the historical present says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he says to him, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, when Jesus asked him that, he asked him, he said, do you love me? He used the word that we translate agape, agapao. Uh, and th that is love in the sense of a full commitment. You can love someone, agapao, out of a sense of duty. There's no necessarily emotional commitment to it. Um, you know, the Bible says, love your enemies. Well, it's agapao. That doesn't mean, it means you will treat your enemies with respect. You will treat your enemies with dignity and you will not cheat them. You will behave toward them in an ethical and moral manner. It doesn't mean you have to have warm fuzzies for them. Is that good news to anybody? I don't think I have there. I, I could think of several politicians. I do not have warm fuzzies for well, you're not required to do that. And two times he asked him, he said, so he says to him, you know, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But when Peter responds, he does not use the word agapao. Now, were they speaking Aramaic? I'm sure they were. I doubt seriously that they were speaking Greek. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, whatever was done, God led John to write this way. To bring to his readers the understanding of where Jesus was trying to take him. And he said, Simon said, let me, let me rephrase it for you just a little bit here and, and take some of it out. Simon, son of John, are you more committed to me than these? I believe he was referring to the fish that were there, his past life. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love. The word is phileo. The word philia means to kiss. The word Philadelphia means literally love of the brotherhood. City of, you've heard it, the city of brotherly love. Not so much anymore, but that's what it was called. All right. And so he says, are you committed to me? Are you committed, more committed to me than you are this? And he said, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, tend my lambs. And he said to him second time, Simon, son of John, are you committed to me? Agapao again. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I, phileo, I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. John 21, 17. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he used the same word that Peter used. And when he did that, it broke Peter's heart. Do you really? I mean, you know, do you love me? Is it more than duty? Is it more than a good idea? Is it more than a philosophy? Is it more than or just a, a, some sort of an ethical commitment? Do you actually love me? And Peter's heart was broken. And he said to him, Lord, 
you know all things. You know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. You know all things. Search my heart. See if I'm not telling the truth. Don't go by what I did. Go by who you've made me. Do you understand that? I know I do. Broken and humbled. Think about this. You know I love you. He will not allow pride and the sting of failure to overcome. He didn't make any excuses. He didn't do any blame shifting. Look at my heart, Lord. Look at my heart. So what does he say? He says to him, you follow me. They knew that. Deuteron the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Yisrael, Yahweh our God is our God, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and all of your might. That is confirmed as the greatest commandment by Jesus in all three synoptic gospels. God calls us to love him completely, unreservedly, sacrificially, and above all, personally. In short, we are to love him even as he loves us. Like Peter, and I hadn't thought about this when I was putting this together, but this morning as I was in my devotions before the Lord, I sensed the Lord speaking to my heart, saying that many within the church, like Peter, are about to have their world rocked. And a lot of things, a lot of cherished things, desires, etc., aren't it, it's going to look it, it's, it's going to look impossible. Will we cling to him? Will we hang on to him, follow him, walking with him in that up close and personal relationship, putting him first in everything? Because if we will, even though we're knuckleheads. Speak for yourself, pastor. OK, even though I'm a knucklehead. I am certain, even though I am imperfect, even though I, I fall short, he will hold me steady. He will get you there, transforming us, loving us, caring for us. And if we will allow him to do that, loving the things he loves and hating the things he hates, it will be amazing what God can do. If our musicians would come. I love what he said next. You know, think about this. He said, well, in John 21, 18 and 19, the very next, you know, verses, he, Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this, he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. Tradition tells us he was crucified in Rome upside down. At his own request to be upside down. And at, when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Hey, you know what? It says over in, in uh, the book of Acts, 
when they, they, they talked about Paul, they said, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here now. Just think about that. They had turned the world upside down. The gospel was spreading like wildfire through the ancient world. Not bad for a bunch of knuckleheads. Amen. And though you may have, okay, though you do have lots of imperfections, lots of shortcomings, if you won't give up on God, God will not give up on you. Amen. Amen. And, you know, this isn't licensed to go out and jump into bed with whoever and, to, you know, uh, you know, pop this pill, shoot this thing. You know, all, you know, all the things that are, are the scripture says are evil because they are evil. It's not a license to do that. It is the license to fail as what Martin Luther said, he said, if you must sin, sin boldly. That didn't mean to go out and, you know, rob a bank in broad daylight with no face covering. So everybody know you're doing it. No, what he meant was if you believe something to be the will of God in your heart and you step out, do it with all of your might. Do it boldly. And if it turns out that you're missing it and it's not God, God will be able to correct you and bring you back. As a friend of mine once said, you cannot steer a parked car. And so if we're not moving, if we're not going, there isn't anything that God will be able to do because we're just, we're inert. Wonderful, awesome, and tremendous things are ahead. Beyond, you know, the Lord has assured me, and I believe me, I've peppered him with questions. How long, oh Lord, how long, oh Lord, how long, oh Lord, how long? If I've said that once to him, I've said it 4,000 times in the last 25 years or longer. And things have not gone the way I thought they would go. Rest assured. And I promise you, things in our government have not gone as I would have wanted we truly are dealing with the gates of hell nowadays. You know, that said, Jesus has promised they will not prevail. Jesus has promised that his church will rise in the midst of it. But the only way that works is if we are, because we cannot rise on our own, we have to be with him. For Jesus, Easter and believe it or not, they use that word in the King James Version. Easter, and you know, was all about us. What do you think about that? And for us, Easter and every other day should be about Him. If we'll love Him like we love no other, I mean seriously, not casually, locked in, not just kind of nibbling at the edges. We'll get there. And even though things in the world look a bit depressing, and they're going to look a lot more depressing in the days to come. Because God's dealing with the money God. He's dealing with the money God. The mammon God's coming down. And there are a few other things that are coming down too. He who called us is faithful. If we'll stay with him, he will get 
us where we need to be. And we will graduate from the fellowship of the imperfect, the church militant on earth, to being either with him at the trumpet sound, or we will die if he, if he tarries, and we will join the church uh, triumphant and perfect in heaven. You know, we, gotta, we, we need to keep our eyes on that, that we will all stand before God one day. And I don't want to have God say, what were you thinking? And for all, and me answer, obviously I wasn't. I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You know what? Did you get everything? No, but you got the lion's share of it. Way to go, son. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's all stand. For those of you watching by web, if you do not know Jesus of Nazareth as your Lord and Savior, I assure you that you must be born again. Jesus said that. I didn't. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Yes, hell is real. I know people out there who say it's not. It is. Jesus even told us a story about it in the New Testament to impress us with how serious this is. The rich man said to Father Abraham across the gulf in Sheol, I am in agony in this flame. This was not a parable. It was something that actually happened. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. If you believe in Jesus with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. I don't mean some prayer by road. I mean a true commitment to Him. That God has raised Him from the dead. And you call on His name. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I give myself to you. Lord, I'm a mess. I need you. He will not turn you away. And you will pass from death into life. You will go from under the boot and dominion of the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the evil one, to being in the kingdom of the Son of God's love. That's what Paul said. Christian, don't stir it with your finger. Don't be casual. Get in. Love him with all your heart because the shaking has just started. It's going to get stronger. And it's going to be a marvelous opportunity to be like Cornelius, who is God's first voice in his sphere of influence. And you want to be there when God says, I've got somebody there. I've got somebody who listens. I've got somebody who will obey. I've got somebody to send. Everybody say, that's me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, we hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, iccfamily.org, iccfamily.org. Org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.